Um, so I reread over the weekend, I reread uh, uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It's a, a, a book worth rereading or reading, and it's a, there's been so many different versions of the movie. Uh, my personal favorite is Mickey's A Christmas Carol, but you know, you, you, some of you may have more highbrow tastes than that. But there's all kinds of different uh, versions of that story, that movie that have come out. Uh, so uh, great holiday tradition, idea, read the book, watch the movie. Uh, but why do we love that story of Scrooge uh, becoming... Uh, going from being a, a clenched-fisted taker to being a generous, open-handed giver. Like, like, why is that story told and retold in so many different ways? Uh, I believe it's because we, we want to believe that transformation is possible, right? We, we, we want to believe that the Scrooges out there, and maybe the Scrooge in here, uh, can be changed, can be transformed. And at the heart of the Christmas story is God's selfless, joyful self-giving love, that he gives his best open-handedly to you and to me. And so I want to go to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, as we've walked through this Return to Sender series, we've been looking at different gifts that, uh, that we receive that maybe don't feel like great gifts that we wish we could just send back. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the gift of waiting. Last week, we talked about the gift of conflict. And today, we're talking about the gift of generosity. Um, some, uh, some uh, gifts that we receive, they, 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 they don't seem like great gifts, but we're looking at these unexpected gifts and how we can uh, recognize those as gifts, how we can receive them in gratitude, and how we can return those gifts to God in worship. So in our, in our, our Christmas box today, uh, we've got this little ordinary offering plate that just passed by underneath everybody's nose just now. And when we think about this plate, we tend to think about our gift to God. Uh, this plate is a picture of giving. It's a symbol of generosity. And when we think about generosity, we tend to think of it from a very human-centered point of view. Um, the reality is this season is all about God's incredible generosity toward us. What I'd like us to see is that even when we give, when we join in and give, um, when we're generous, our generosity is more about God's gift to us than it is about God, our gift to God. Generosity uh, is, is more about God's gift to us than our gift to God. The opportunity to give, the opportunity to be generous is in itself a gift that God gives you. And we're going to talk about that, hopefully unpack that a little bit over the next few minutes. Um, we want to turn, we've, we've been rooting each of these gifts into the uh, the, the nativity uh, narrative. And so in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we've got uh, this very familiar, very important story of the wise men or the magi. Chapter 2, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, magi from the east, uh, came to Jerusalem. These, these were astrologers probably. They, they were pagans. They studied the stars to find meaning there. And... Uh, and, and these are the, the least likely worshipers of the Messiah that we can imagine. They came from the east, probably modern-day Iraq. They were probably Babylonians. Probably uh, along the way had heard about this guy named Daniel a few hundred years before that had predicted that there would come a, a king one day. He would be a stone cut without hands. He would crush all human kingdoms, and, and that stone would end up filling the entire, the entire earth. But however, uh, however this happened, these are pagan astrologers who, who, who studied the stars, and they are the ones that travel all these miles to come and worship 
Jesus. They said, who, they said, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, or we saw his star uh, in the east, and, and we've come to worship him. And then when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem was troubled with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you're, you're by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word so that I too may go and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star they had seen when it rose, it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy going into the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Every, every time I read this passage, I think to myself, um, there's these different categories of people. You've got Herod, who's threatened by Jesus. You've got the religious leaders who are um, apathetic uh, toward Jesus. And then you've got these pagans, these unlikely people who travel all these miles to come and worship Jesus. And, and I try to ask myself, where are you in this story, Matt? How am I like Herod, threatened that Jesus is going to try to take something away from me? How am I like uh, how am I like uh, uh, these religious leaders? They've been around the stories. They've heard it all. They know, oh, that's just the Bible. I mean, it's just prophecy. You know, he's going to come. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm not going to really personally make the five-mile trip, but if I was to go, he would be over here in Bethlehem, days, less than a day's journey away. Are we like that? Are we like tour guides in a museum? Or are we like these unlikely people who just get on our camels and load up some frankincense and myrrh and gold, which by the way sounds really heavy and hard to transport, inconvenient, and, and just travel uh, across the country and, into, and across the border into another country just for a chance to worship. I mean, these magi are, you know, great examples of generosity. They give these really generous gifts. I mean, these don't seem like the typical gifts for a child, but these were expensive gifts. And, 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 and these gifts probably uh, funded uh, Jesus' family as they had to flee from Herod and as they kind of made a new start in Egypt and then made a new start again later in, in Nazareth. And, 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 uh, and, and God used this generosity uh, to protect and to provide for Jesus and his family. Um, they're an example of generosity. But look, look at the... the personal cost and expense of worship. I mean, they, you know, these were important guys. They had like important astrologizing to do, I'm sure. I'm sure that was a booming business. Uh, they had to like hang up a shingle on their door and say, we don't know where we're going. We don't know when we're getting back, but we gone, you know, and so do, search, search the stars for yourself. Like, they could have made all kinds of excuses. We're busy. We're super important. Uh, this is going to take a long time. Um, these gifts are expensive. And so, like, today, as we think about, like, our response to worship, we say things like, oh, you know, like, I would, I would, like, be more involved in worship, you know, but now I work. Really, you work, like, 9 o'clock to noon on, on Sunday? Well, no, but I mean, I'm the first human being in history who's simultaneously had a job and tried to 
love Jesus at the same time. So, I mean, it's really difficult. Or I'm super busy right now. I'm just scaling everything back right now. And, 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 and guys, like, it would have been easy for them to make the same uh, excuses that, that we make. And yet they saddle up their camels, they saddle up their gold, their frankincense, their myrrh, and they're generous in their time, they're generous in their resources, they're generous in their worship, and they're examples to us. Um, so when you hear about generosity, um, what do you hear? Or what do you think of? Like, I know I've been getting emails like crazy the past couple weeks just with invitations to be generous. This is that time of year, right, where our inboxes are full, our, our physical mailboxes are full, and everybody uh, is, is desiring uh, generosity. And, and, and when we hear generosity, we're, we're tempted to think about, okay, how am I being asked to be generous now? We think about something we're being asked to give away to other people. Um, but I, I, again, I want us to think today in terms of God's incredible and unparalleled and, 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 and crazy generosity, um, insane generosity toward us, that, that he would send his best, he would send his own son into this world, that Jesus himself would come willingly into this world knowing what we would do to him. Knowing that when we encountered the one perfect and true and good and beautiful person, that we would kill him. And he came anyway. This season is all about God's indescribable, joyful generosity toward us. And if we take that a step further, when we're given opportunities to be generous, we're not doing God a favor, God is doing us a favor. Generosity, opportunities we're presented with to be generous are, are not so much our gift to God, but those are God's gift to us. And, you know, studies show that, that uh, generous people are happier and healthier and live longer than stingy people. Uh, you know, the Bible's been saying that all along. Proverbs eleven twenty five says, the one who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. But, like, today, it's not, it's not enough to say the Bible says it. We have to say studies show. And, oh, studies show, okay, well, yeah, then I'll totally believe it. It's like, I'll tell Sonda something over and over and over again, and then she'll say, Matt, guess what Will said? And it'll be the same thing that I've been saying. Anybody? And I'll say, well, you believe it now that Will said? I've been saying that for 10 years. Well, so, so God's word has been telling us for millennia that a disposition of generosity is better for us, that the blessed life is a life of open-handed generosity and suddenly we say, oh, studies say that generosity actually, gener studies show that generosity uh, leads to uh, lower depression, lower anxiety, a longer lifespan, reduction of stress, improvement in physical health, a longer life, improved relationship, and improved connection. Long time ago, Paul said, quoting Jesus in Acts 20, verse 35, when he's just pouring himself into the, the elders at Ephesus, and just and before the last time he sees them, he just wants to impart just a few really important, essential things. And he says, Acts 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That flies in the face of the two main cultural lies that we're told today, especially this time of year. As, as we're being bombarded every day by advertisements, the, 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 the thread of every advertisement is built on the lies of uh, consumerism and scarcity. Consumerism and scarcity are the twin lies that fuel our culture. And consumerism says, you're going to be happy if you get just a little more stuff. And scarcity says, but act now, this deal ends at midnight. 
How, how many deals like that have we run across? Like, uh, it, it, act now because if, if Ashley gets it, there's not going to be any left over for you. Consumerism, just a little more is going to make you happy. In scarcity, there's only so much to go around. And the gospel just blows up both of those myths and exposes them as lies. As we gather around this table that, that a, a member of our church, a man in our church, generously made by hand, and on it is the simple like juice and bread. There's enough for everybody here. And the gospel says that, the, that scarcity is a myth that, that you can enter into a life of abundance where there is enough. And the gospel says that consumerism is a lie that we don't get happy as we take for ourselves, but we find happiness as we give ourselves away. And that is modeled by the person of Jesus Christ at the center of our story. Uh, last month, uh, our Wednesday night kids and Blast, their, the, the, their word for the month was generosity. And the way they defined generosity was joyfully sharing what God has given you. I think that's a really great definition. Generosity is joyfully sharing what God has given you. And generosity isn't so much our gift to God, it's God's gift to us. So if you will turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's where we're going to be today for the most part. Um, interestingly, the context here, uh, Paul has had um, a, a kind of back and forth, awkward, sometimes tense relationship with the Corinthians. The Corinthians are kind of an upscale, cosmopolitan, educated people. They love to talk about ideas and, and uh and they kind of think they have their act together, but underneath the surface, there's all this immorality and just apathy. And, and Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians 7, he mentions this really, he calls it a stern letter or a harsh letter that he sent them. He said, I sent you this harsh letter, and it made me sad to send it, and I know it made you sad to get it. He says, but, um, but now I'm not sad anymore because... The sorrow that that letter brought to you was a sorrow that led to repentance. You've, you've repented, you've, you've come back into the fold, you've mended your ways. And so, but, but there's still this, and we don't have access to that harsh letter, it's, it, but, but, but reading some things that Paul apparently doesn't consider harsh, it must have been a doozy, okay? And he says, I feel bad about it, but now I don't feel bad about it because you've, you've come to repentance. And, and so Paul's in this position of he's kind of this, has this tense relationship with the Corinthians, and now he's asking them for money. In your experience, when you have a tense relationship with someone, does asking them for money make things less tense? No. And so Paul, really delicately, uh, and it shows us that talking about money was awkward then too because he manages to spend two chapters talking about money without ever using the word for money. Okay? He just, it's all about generosity, but he's clear he's talking about financial resources. And what he's doing here, Paul has this mission of he's going throughout the Gentile, non-Jewish world, raising funds. And remember, there's no paper money. People aren't like Venmoing stuff to each other. It's a, a, a phrase I learned from the porch. Uh, Venmo, I didn't know what that was. I know now. You don't know what it is? Google it, okay? So uh, he's not, they're not able just like to Venmo it to Paul or transfer bank accounts. Like he's actually got to like go around and like gather like stuff. And like ship it. And this is a huge uh, uh, logistical nightmare. And yet Paul says, I'm wanting to raise these funds to support the poor Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who are for the most part Jewish. Now why would Macedonian and Corinthian and all these other predominantly Gentile believers care about raising money for believers all the way over there in Jerusalem? Well, the, the reason Paul's going to give is because we care about the rest of the body because Jesus stepped out of heaven and into earth knowing what it would cost him. And he's our model, he's our example. He grounds all of this, this appeal to generosity in the grace of God. 
And he, he's wanting, this is so important to Paul, because he's wanting the body of Christ, when one part of the body's hurting, he wants the other part of the body to feel that in response. So that's why we do missions in Iraq and Rwanda and Laos and Macedonia and all over the world today, because we come alongside our brothers and sisters or our future brothers and sisters who don't know the Lord yet, and, 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 uh, and, and, and we're saying there's something deeper than nationality. There's something deeper than, than ethnicity. There's the blood of Christ, which is a, a deeper and, and, and more important bond than any of that. All right? And so, so Paul begins with this example. As he's, as he's talking, he's, he's coming to the Corinthians, and he's wanting to, them to participate uh, in this uh, love gift for, for the, 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 the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, he starts with an example. He says, chapter 8, verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8, 1, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, interestingly, Paul frames this whole conversation about generosity with the idea of grace. In the next two chapters, he's going to use God's, the word for grace, ten times in different ways. And he says, I want you to know about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, grace isn't just something God does to us, it is that, but God's grace is something that he does through us to benefit and to bless other people. And he says these Macedonians, verse 2, they were in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, they overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The Macedonians were nowhere near as well off or as wealthy or content or at peace as the, as the, as the Corinthians were, but they have this opportunity to give, and man, they gave above and beyond, and Paul points to them as an example. Um, he says their, 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 their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, and that tells the generosity isn't a matter of um, how much money you have. Some of us think that I'm going to wait and I'm going to become generous when I have more money. That's kind of like saying I'm going to go to the gym when I'm in better shape, you know? Like the Macedonians didn't have much, but they were generous with the little bit that they had. And Paul describes it this way. They gave according to their means as I can testify. And beyond, they gave beyond their means. It's like the preacher that, that stood up in front of the church and said, hey, stop giving so much. You're giving too much. Have you ever heard that story? I haven't either, but... Um, <laughs> But, but, but Paul says they, 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 uh, they gave above and beyond. They gave more than they logically or rationally should have because they're following the example of Jesus. They gave beyond their means of, the, of, their, of their own accord. Verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Can you imagine that? He says, these believers in Macedonia, they begged us to let them have the favor, the grace, the gift of giving. You ever hear about a need and you're like, okay, nobody else has stepped up to the plate yet. Okay, I'd like to meet this need. Oh, it's, ever been, it's already been met? Oh, thank you, Lord, thank you. That's often the way we view generosity. Dodged a bullet on that one. And the Macedonians are like, will you please let me serve? Will you let me give? Will you let me be part of God's work? They're begging for the privilege of having the gift of giving away. Does that seem upside down to anybody? That's right side up. That's, that's the way kingdom people think. And Paul points to them as an example to the Corinthians and to us. Verse 5, And this, not as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, you excel... Now, now the Corinthians, Paul said, you're good at everything. You excel in 
faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness. You excel even in the fact that we love you so much. See that you excel in this act of grace also. In other words, excel in giving. The idea of excel clues us in that giving, that generosity in our time, generosity in our finances, this is a muscle that has to be exercised. He says, excel in this. Some of us aren't great at giving because we haven't exercised that muscle in a while. And the only way to get stronger in giving is to work out the giving muscles. The only way you're going to have you know, huge biceps like Will, um, is, is you go in, you, you pump them curls, right? You know, and, and, and work out that muscle. And giving is that way. If we're going to excel in giving, we've got to practice giving. We start where we are and build from there. Paul, Paul describes throughout this, as he's describing the Macedonians, we see the generosity is this joyful overflow of God's grace in our lives. It's about partnering with God's mission, something bigger than us. And it's about giving above and beyond what makes sense. I, I think about um, when I was in an orphanage in Sudan one time, and, and at that time these kids only got meat once a week. It was a big day when, when, when a, uh, a few goats were slaughtered or a cow was slaughtered and and I'm walking by and 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 and, and you know everything was all you know the whole animal was in a pot and stewed together and mm, you know and and uh some kids are I walk by a group of boys they're teenage boys and they're gathered around a community pot and all their their hands are all in it and they're eating this meat and they say Matt eat eat I said no I'm good guys I'm, I'm I had a cliff bar earlier I'm totally good eat eat this is their meat for the week they've got this is like jeff bezos giving a billion dollars away this is what they had and they wanted to share leaf it's not about how much you got it's not about whether you got ten dollars in the bank or ten billion dollars in the bank it's about are you generous with what you have and these guys man they just wanted to share what they had with me a spoiled american The Macedonians begged for the favor. They begged for the privilege of joining in. In Matthew 6, Jesus describes giving as an investment opportunity. And if you haven't read the book, The Treasure Principle, several of our groups have gone through it or are going through it. You have access to Right Now Media. If you don't know how, ask. We'll tell you how. There's a four-series, four-message series on The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. A great study, great book. And and his principle is built on Matthew chapter 6, that we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't store up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thief break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thief cannot break in and steal. Jesus doesn't say don't store up treasure. He doesn't say don't store up treasure for yourselves. He just says don't put it in a stupid place where something bad can happen to it. He says send it on ahead, invest in eternity and when you give generously to god's work you're investing you're you're taking your money and you're moving it from this account and you're putting it in this account if 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 you were approached with a sure thing anybody ever like you dream about a sure financial investment and you think man if i had a sure thing i'd invest in that Here, here here you go invest in the kingdom of god and where your treasure is your heart will be also and thief cannot break in and steal Moth and rust cannot destroy. 
Paul says, excel more. And then he goes on to say this, verse 9. Excuse me, verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. A generous person demonstrates through action that their love is genuine. Paul says, when you give, you're demonstrating that your love is real. We can all talk it, but being generous with our resources demonstrates it, that love is genuine. Generosity, he says in verse 10, in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you. How about that? He said it's good for you to give. Studies show that Paul was right. That if you want to lower your depression, you want to lower your cholesterol, you want to lower your blood pressure, you want to reduce your anxiety, you want to live longer, you want to be more connected, generosity is the way it happens. The Bible's been a voice crying in the wilderness on this for so long. And we say, we hear the studies just like we hear the Bible and we say, mm, we're like the guy in Star Wars, it's a trap, like this can't really be, that can't be. So no, I'm just going to take that money, I'm going to try all this stuff over here and see if that will fix me. But it won't. Generous giving. In verse 9, Paul roots all of this in the person of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. Is he saying that we're all going to win the lottery? No, he's saying that Jesus had everything. We had nothing. Jesus emptied himself so that we who are empty might become full. And if you live a life of generosity, you're mimicking, you're modeling, you're following the example of Jesus Christ, and he's not going to leave you hanging. The only personal example I can share is mine. And, and, and uh, you know, when Sonda and I came uh, together in marriage, we covenanted together, we committed together that, that we were going to give this baseline 10% um, to our local church. And that we were going to give offerings above and beyond that to our church and to missionary friends and other good causes. And, and um, that 10% comes from the word tithe. That means a tenth. And this is an Old Testament idea. And people argue about this. And you don't have to give 10%. That's an Old Testament idea. Really, that's true. New Testament, Jesus says, it's all mine. 100% is his. But that 10% is a good uh, that was for us a good place to, that was a good firm number because we knew that we had to be, we had to have a number, we had to have a target, so that was our target. And we worked our way to, to where we could give that 10%, then to give above and beyond that. And, and what used to be our ceiling is now our floor. And we tried, our goal is to give more every year than we did the last year. And, and I use this example of when we'd been married a couple of years, we, we bought our first house and we were kind of extended and we had this choice to make or we're going to skip out on our tithe this month and it was winter time and we paid our tithe our first fruits the first commitment and in order to to make it the rest of the month we had to sell every heater we had those dearborn heaters in our house we had to sell all the heaters in our house and it was a cold winter and we didn't even like each other very much back then but god was faithful to us that was the closest to lacking we've ever come and from one year to the next, we, we seek to give a greater percentage than we gave the year before, plus on top of that, free will offerings 
to bless others. And the primary recipient of our giving is our local church. Because our local, and, 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 and people, well, you can give to this. You, yeah, you can. There's all kinds of good causes. Give to those. But that 10% baseline that we give, we give to our local church and as much above and beyond that as we can because it's our local church that welcomes us week after week as a family. It's our local church where we come limping in week after week as poor sinners in need of a place to belong. The greatest example of giving to your local church I can give is found in Acts chapter 2 where the early church just pooled everything they had together and as anybody had need, they gave to one another. And some of us are saying, I'll give when I make more money. Do you know that you're eight times more likely to give if you make $20,000 a year versus $75,000 a year? It's not about when you make more money. If you don't work out the muscles now where you're at, they're not going to magically appear later. Grace is the why of giving. Grace is the how of giving. In chapter 9, Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. That's exactly the kind of giver that God is. So many of us, we approach generosity like, oh, okay, I'm going to give, I guess, because I have to. But, but when you're generous and you mean it, man, it unleashes something joyful in your life. And this is all rooted in the example of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, he, he uses the example of a farmer, and we've got some farmers here that know much more about this than I do, but he says if you just scatter a little bit of seed out, if you're stingy with your seed, you're going to get a stingy crop. But if you're generous with your seed, you're going to get a generous crop, usually, maybe not all the time. Um, am I living with a clenched fist, or am I living with an open hand? And 2 Corinthians 9, let's pick up in verse... 12. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The result of giving is that God gets glorified. God gets glorified. That's why we give, to give glory to God. There's some giving cop-outs that we give, and, and we say, maybe one of the things we say is, you know, if I don't give, I mean... Somebody else will give in my place. Well, A, somebody else is going to get blessed in your place, but B, uh, 10%, 10 to 20% on average, Christians in a church give a biblical tithe. So somebody else isn't giving. If you don't, it's not like, a, it's not like a 90% of, of other people in the church are not giving usually. The... Uh, the, the average Christian in America gives 2.5% of their income to the church. During the Great Depression, the average American household gave 3.3% of their income to the church. We're giving almost a percentage less than we were giving during the Great Depression. That's incredible. I'll tithe when I make more money. We've already addressed that. I'll give when I feel like it. It's like working out when you feel like it, right? That day never comes. And some of us give sporadically, but there's something to be, get to, to be said for recurring, habitual, disciplined, generous giving. And again, this isn't about the amount. This isn't about Travis giving as much as Will or Will giving as much as Don or, 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 or Matt giving as, as much as Mike. It's, it's, it's about 
you giving generously from where you are. And maybe you think about 10% and you think, man, I can't hit that. Well, start where you are and work out those muscles and build from there. Why do we give to our local church? We give to our local church because this is where we covenant together. And we support our, our staff who, there's one that's probably overpaid, but the rest of them are woefully underpaid. And they serve you week in and week out and week in and week out. And they equip the saints for the work of ministry. We support these facilities that get used not just by us. I mean, some of us say, ah, man, the electric bill and the, the utilities, I don't want to pay for that. Well, but you don't want to go to, a, you don't want to meet in a tent either. <laughs> okay, so we, 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 we take care of our facilities. Beyond that, our giving is pulled together and makes a bigger kingdom impact together than any of us could possibly make on our own. And so we primarily, we're still the primary supporter of the shop, the Sweetwater House of Peace that, that, that cares for so many needs in our community. We, there's people that come through our doors every week that most of you will never see, will never know that benefit and are blessed. There's work, there's God's work here in Sweetwater and in, and in Asia and in the Middle East and in Africa that's being supported, the ends of the earth being supported by us generously cooperating together in our giving. Um, some of us say, this is the last cop-out I'll, I'll share, some of us say, I give my time, so I don't really need to give my money. Um, it's good that you give your time. Some of us say, I give my money, so I really don't need to give my time. Well, the reality is, those are two different substances, and we're called to be generous with both but one does not substitute for the other one. Saying I don't need to be generous with my money because I'm generous with my time is like saying I don't need to fill up my truck with fuel because I changed the oil. It's good that I changed the oil. That was a really important thing and my dad would be proud. But it's not the same as fueling up my truck. So there's times that, that we can be more generous, that, that we can give a, a, a bigger slice of our time or a bigger slice of our, of our finances. But the reality is God calls us to be generous with both and one does not substitute for the other. Chip Ingram wrote a great book called The Genius of Generosity. He says, if you want to be smart, spend carefully. If you want to be wise, save regularly. And if you want to be genius, give extravagantly. I want to be a genius. I want you to be genius. And so let's be smart. Let's spend carefully. Um, eight out of ten people who regularly give do not have credit card debt. So let's get out of credit card debt. Let's stop buying stuff we don't need. Okay? That's spending carefully. Then let's be wise. Let's save regularly. And all the while we're giving what we can give. But what we'll find is as we, as we spend and save wisely and smartly, we'll find that we have the opportunity to give generously, regularly, consistently, sacrificially, and giving generosity changes you because it connects you to God and it connects you to other people. The Bible says it, but studies also say it, okay? Generosity is God's gift to you more than your gift to God. The band's coming up, and we're going to move into a time of communion, and as we gather in a moment here around the table, 
This is an opportunity just to reflect on God's generosity toward you. Have you accepted the incredible generosity of God in Christ? Have you believed and trusted and staked your eternity on, gone all in on Jesus as the way, the truth, the life? Is there a practical step of generosity you can take this week? Maybe that's getting online and signing up for recurring giving. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's a, a work of missions or a person in need that you know of that you can help out. What's a practical generosity step you can take this week? Going back to Scrooge. When he was with the third ghost, the ghost of Christmas future. And he was seeing that there were, he was going to die and all of his tight-fisted living was going to result in a man that nobody missed and nobody remembered and nobody mourned. He begged, he said, Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. Today is an opportunity to live an altered life. To, take our, to, to by the grace of God, take our clenched fists and open them up. And one thing I know about communion... This is going to be enough for everybody here. Communion proves that our culture's lies are just that. They're lies. You don't find happiness by consumerism. You won't find happiness through believing the lie of scarcity. You find happiness when you discover that Jesus is enough. And a life that counts is a life not of taking, but of giving ourselves away.